Hello there, and welcome to Force Material. I'm Baz McAllister. And I'm Rowan Williams. And I'm Josh Chapman from Star Wars Spelt Out. Yes, we have a very special guest this week who's just returned from Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim, California. And uh, yeah, Josh, tell, tell us how it was. We've been hanging to know. All oh, right. Well, it's what is it? Is it one in the morning now? Three in the morning now? LA time? I can't, I can't tell. I can't tell. <laughs> I feel like I'm halfway between LA time and Melbourne time. But uh, yeah, I, I landed yesterday morning um, after a week of, yeah, in the sunshine at Anaheim, uh, hitting Celebration and hitting Galaxy's Edge, Disneyland. And uh, yeah, it was great. We, uh, we had a great time. We, um, we had a sort of a big crew of people who were over there. We had a few Australians and meeting up with other sort of people in our sort of Star Wars world over there. And uh, we got into some of the big panels. Um, some of them, we were in the overflow rooms because they kind of, they'll have like the big arena and stuff. And then they'll have two big sort of inside rooms in the convention center where they'll stream it live in there. So you get to see all the sort of exclusive stuff in there as well. So we saw the Blucas film panel um, on the stage. We saw the Bad Batch. We saw the ILM documentary panel. Um, yeah, that was sort of the big stuff. I saw. I went to went to Disneyland, went to Galaxy's Edge, saw Hayden Christensen at Gal- Galaxy's Edge, <laughs> which was pretty Incredible. crazy. Now, are you sure you did or did you have sort of a PTSD flashback and you just thought you saw him on the side of the road? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was just staring at me from across the thing. Yeah, no, it was definitely him. We, we like we walked. I walked literally right past him. Like he was standing. Well, we sort of did Galaxy's Edge. I was I was with Matt Mole from the Three Men and a Baby Yoda podcast, and mm-hmm. um, we just walked out of Galaxy's Edge. We just had some lunch, and we're kind of we're still in Star Wars land. We're walking out. And there's sort of this corner you're around, and, all the, and there was all these people sort of, there was just sort of people mingling because there's people everywhere. And there was a guy sitting on the ground, and at the corner of my ear, I heard him just say Hayden Christensen. And it was, wasn't was like, oh my God, there's Hayden Christensen. He was just like, he was just saying, like, Hayden Christensen. And I looked over, like, I looked, and then he was sort of like right in my vision where I was looking. And um, I sort of walked past, and he, he saw me, and I saw him. And I think there was a sort of a second where he was going, like, like dude, don't. Don't please like, don't approach out. me. Please, yeah. yeah, you know. So I, I sort of, you know, but it wasn't like fear or anything. But it was more just like he's, you know, and I sort of just gave him a little thumbs up, and he sort of looked and, you know, and yeah, yeah. A little sort of, you know, and I walked away. And he had a, a Disney minder with him, and I think there might have been a kid who might have even been in a wheelchair or something as well. So I think it might have been a Make a Wish sort of, oh wow, sort of thing. So. You know, you, you kind of look and I go, it definitely looked just like him if it wasn't him. And then there was a Twitter was a bit like. Oh, there he is! I, I, oh my God! I think I saw Hayden Christensen yeah. at Disneyland. I think, you know, so there was a few other confirmed sightings and things. There was an amazing photo of somebody who, when you go on a ride, they have like the photo that they take, you know, of everybody on Splash Mountain with their arms in the yeah. air or whatever. And somebody got off the thing and looked at their photo, and you know, they were two rows back, and Hayden Christensen sitting in the <laughs> row in front of the thing. So, um, yeah, so that was pretty incredible. It, it, Galaxy's Edge is, is pretty great. The, the Falcon ride is pretty cool, but the Rise of the Resistance is the is the is the the Pierre de Resistance of. I've never been on a ride like it. it it's quite incredible. Um, but Celebration itself was good. You know, it has it has hiccups with lines and things as these things seem to do. But it seemed to be mostly around the people who were doing autographs or photos spent a lot of time in lines trying to deal with that and, and delays and things. But as far as getting into the panels and stuff, it was, it was good. It was smooth. Um, we got to go to the set. They have like a live stage that they run that, the, um, they kind of run on the YouTube. So 
during the day they'll have sort of people from the Star Wars show like Andy Gutierrez mm-hmm. and those kind of people bring people out. So we happened to be walking in the vicinity when it was sort of getting ready to start up again and we went, oh, we'll go over and we'll check it out. We, we ended up being about three from the front and, and Hayden and Ewan came out. So we, we were, you know, like a stone's throw from them and Diego Luna as well. And um, my friend Catherine, who's the world's biggest um, Cassie Nandor fan, was <laughs> had her, her Beatlemania moment being yes. very close to Diego Luna. But, um, yeah, it was really good. It was very – it was different to Chicago just because the weather was nice. People were outside sort of mingling and things as well. There was a lot – you know, we ended up being sort of out late a lot of nights just because it was – warm and you could do stuff and we got to see Kenobi a few hours earlier than everybody which was cool mm. um I'm just trying to think of sort of winners and losers of things like I think <laughs> I think the biggest loser of it I don't it was probably Hasbro Hasbro were really kind of rubbish um <laughs> as someone who kind of gets black series and I got the exclusives last time I'm sort of I'm dipping in and out of it but there they kind of didn't announce an exclusive and at the last minute, they said, oh, we're going to do an exclusive and it's going to basically be the Paz Vizsla doll that they've already released with John Favreau's head on it. <laughs> yes. So it wasn't even something that they could have, it wasn't something Kenobi related where they were like, oh, you know what, we have to wait for Kenobi. We don't want to spoil something. It was mm. They could have had this thing ready to go. Um, and then they were like, oh, no, you're going to get a code and you're going to have to pre-order it and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't even available to people in Australia. So I got the code yeah. and they're like, do you send, is this going to go to Australia? They're like, um it's only going to be the UK and I'm like, well, thanks for nothing, Hasbro. Yeah. <laughs> which, wow. yeah. Which was, that was probably, that was a disappointment because I was kind of keen to get the exclusive. But um, they probably yeah. just jammed a happy hook and head on the Paz Vizsla. Oh, they've probably figure. just gone to the, the Marvel like vat yeah. and pulled the happy, and they could have, uh, and the box was, the, you know, it's the standard, the special one that they've done for the Cad Bane and they've done for the, the Dave Filoni thing. So it wasn't like, they couldn't have done it a year ago and had it ready. So it was a little bit kind of weak source from them, which was a bit disappointing. But yeah. um, but generally, now the crowd vibes was really good. Um, people were all in a good mood. Everybody was upbeat. There wasn't any real sort of negativity or anything like that. And it was um, it was just a great time. If you ever get a chance to do one, I hardly recommend it. I know the next one's going to be in, in, in London, which is a little bit, you know, a little bit closer for some. You've got family, you know, in the in yep. the area of the world. So if you can plan a trip to that, but yeah, I, I I'll, I'll get my sister it. to make up the spare room. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, there was people. We were on the we were on the floor because uh, they do like a closing ceremony. And I, the last day, I would, I was in a few panels. I was in the Visions panel, the Bad Batch panel, and there was like a Return of the Jedi creatures panel. So I was in all these panels on the last day. So I only had about an hour left on the floor before it sort of wound up. So I was kind of walking the floor and then the, the ceremony was kind of going on in the background. And then people started saying like, oh, like London. They've said it's going to be in London next year. It's going to happen. And then all of a sudden there was like links going around in our chat of like, you could book a hotel near the Excel Centre in London now. <laughs> they haven't realised that celebration's on. You can get it for, you know, 300 pounds for the four days now if, if, you, if you jump on it and blah, blah, blah. But I... I'm like, I can't make that kind of commitment <laughs> without yeah. discussing anything <laughs> yet. Yeah. I'll, I'll just worry about when it happens. But, um, yeah, it was very cool. We had, um, we had, yeah, caught up with a lot of friends, which was really good. We had a party. The Sith List podcast put a party on on the last night of celebration and they went all out and we went to Araj's house. He was one of the hosts and he took us all out. He organized a bus and took us out to his wow. house and we had this really lovely sort of evening with all these people we knew and, and had drinks and stuff. And it was, the funny thing for me was 
like people I know now and I've had on my podcast and I've interacted with started being on panels. So there was a few panels and live podcasts that we went to and it was like, oh, there's Laura from Force Toasters on this one or Molly Damon is on this one or the guys from Pink Milk, had they, they got to do a live podcast, which was amazing. Well, So all of a sudden you've gone from absolute nobody to absolute nobody who knows people on Star Wars, <laughs> on, on Star Wars um, panels and things. And then the other kind of a funny thing that went on was that um, – uh, Steel Saunders from Steel Wars, who's as a friend of mine, turned out to be an extra in Kenobi yeah. that yeah. he couldn't tell anybody for a year, <laughs> and he didn't even know whether he was going to even see himself or not. And then on that, he was his face got onto the first episode. So we were all just kind of going, "Oh, that's that's a very Steel move," but it was quite yeah. funny. It was almost like you know, like your home team kind of thing scoring <laughs> a goal. So we were very happy about that, and he was very happy as well. So. Um, it's kind of weird to try and sum it up really quickly like that, but it was um, mm. from Chicago. Yeah, it, it, it ran reasonably well. There's always issues with lines and things and um, they sort of got through the teething stuff and the panel selection stuff worked pretty well for us again this time. So um, I'm just trying to think of other sort what, of um, did, did you bring home any cool trophies? Like have you got any amazing merch? That you I got a little bit of stuff. I didn't get heaps. So I did the same thing as I did at Chicago and made the custom beanies for the podcast um, that I'd given out at Chicago. And this year was a bit different because I said, oh, I'm happy to do it. But, you know, the first time was I thought I'd only ever go once. It was kind of like a giveaway to friends who'd been on the podcast. And I just said, if anybody's interested, I'll do it. But I, I need to like get the cost back. Like I'll, I'll, you, if, you, if you can commit to buying one, for the cost, so it was like twenty dollars or something. I think it was. You know, I'll be happy to do it. And then I got a full order, so it ended up being fifty of them. So I ended up taking a suitcase of fifty beanies over. Um, <laughs> but the problem was is that I'd ordered them at the April May, maybe the end of March. I'd ordered them, and they turned up two hours before I got on the plane. Wow! <laughs> so I'd gotten a few weeks close to it and hadn't heard anything. And you know, when I had done it for Chicago, they turned up about three weeks after I ordered them. And I chased up the company and just said, hey, what's going on here? Like, I, I need these by this date. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure they hadn't actually started them or not. And then I chased them up again and 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 they said, oh, no, no, they're going to arrive. You know, here's the tracking number. And the, the next few days, the tracking number didn't budge. And then it got to sort of the day before. <laughs> and I've just gone, hey, what's going on with these things? Like, where are they? Um, and basically just said, oh, we don't know. They're, they're somewhere in China. We've, we've, we, we, we don't know where they are. Um, and Because I sort of said, well, you know, if they, if they just haven't been picked up and they're sitting in a box in China, can you ship them directly to Anaheim, you know, rush them to Anaheim? Because there's no point in them coming after I've already left. And, yeah, and so I, I had packed everything assuming I wasn't going to take it, take them because I filled the suitcase and I bring everything, all the souvenirs back. And then with about two hours to go, this box just got thrown on the front of the thing that was all torn up and looked like looked like it had done the full ch- the tour of China. It had basically been everywhere, and there they were. So I I gave those out and brought back. What did I I, got, I brought back? Um, we got an exclusive Kenobi poster. We got an exclusive Andor poster, um, and a Bad Batch one. I think I forgot to pick up the Bad Batch one. 
Uh, what else did I pick up? I, I caught a T-shirt at the, at the live stage, so I got that. So oh. th- the hype man was throwing out shirts <laughs> to get people. And I sort of did a, a big sort of like Warwick Kappa. I don't know if that reference re- resonates with all of you, but it's like a big <laughs> AFL jump <laughs> over the top. For us. Yeah, jump over the top of, of another bloke to, to take a bit of a screamer and 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 um and catch a t- catch a T-shirt and things. And I picked up. I bought um uh, I I bought Marvel comics. Number one, Star Wars. That was my big purchase. Wow. So the original one from the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought that. There was a bunch of people who were selling them sort of slabbed and graded. Mm -hmm. And there was just a guy who had a table of just random stuff. And he had one on the table. And the the price he wanted was way cheaper than the ones that had been graded and slabbed. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was actually a pretty reasonable price. So I was like, you know what? That'll be my, my purchase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got that, and I, I picked up a few things for uh, my friend Andy Campbell, um, who couldn't go because he just had a baby about when today. I think I think he's oh, gone. Wow. He has oh. gone public. On, I'm just checking. He's gone public on Instagram. <laughs> so him and his wife Steph had a baby girl. I think last night. So he'd, he'd sort of sent me this list of things. He's like, "Can you get me these black series?" So it was quite nice because I got to sort of shop for some things knowing that I'd get the money back. <laughs> so I was like, oh, <laughs> shopping for some black series. And But I, I picked up a, actually, I picked up a black series Jar Jar for $20 because they had a whole bunch of them. And I'm like, oh, I'll just get that. That's going to be a nice little, a nice little thing. But, you know, you, you get sort of random badges and, and some stickers and things. But the, the fan club presence wasn't nearly as prevalent as it had been at Chicago. At Chicago, there were sort of rows and rows of all these different fan clubs handing out stuff. And there was, that was a lot smaller. This year, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, yeah, um, that's a, a lovely moment for your friend Andy. That's uh, you witnessing a man spending the last disposable income he'll ever have. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I feel bad having to hit him up, going, "Hey, man, well, it was yeah. twenty five for the Ahsoka Black series and twenty five for that, and and for the t shirt as well." But um, I think you know, I think he'd already committed to that. But uh, yeah, he won't be going anywhere for a while. Although <laughs> it was funny because he put up um, when they announced the London one. He was just on social media going, yes, woo, London, like, all right, can't wait. I'm going, mate, you got no idea what you're in for. <laughs> <laughs> if you think you're going, if you think you're going to be going to celebration in a year's time, you know, maybe, but I wouldn't be uh, counting your chickens just yet. But um, yeah. in terms of levels of pump for all the upcoming projects, you know, yep. like Andor, mm. Ahsoka, Skeleton Crew, Bad Batch, mm-hmm. you know, what have you. What were you feeling? What's the vibe of the thing on the ground in Anaheim? What were people most excited for? It was probably Kenobi just because it was so present. Because oh, like, it was of the moment. It was yeah. just, I mean, that was the cool, I mean, it was funny because, you know, 2019 was a movie year. So it was very like Rise of Skywalker focused. And, you know, we didn't really know. We didn't have a title. We didn't have a trailer. And we kind of got all that on the first day. And then you kind of get that, you know, excitement for what what's possible but, the, you know, the excitement for um, the first day of celebration in, in LA was like, oh, Kenobi's coming. So you always had that whole day of build-up and then everybody got to see it and then everybody got to talk about it the next day as well, which was pretty pretty incredible. So that was kind of, you know, I know they'd moved the dates of celebration around and they moved the dates of Kenobi as well just to sort of hit this thing. But it was quite a unique thing to actually have all that hype and actually have it deliver while you're at celebration. Yeah, um, I think the so whole people, world got it a little bit early because of you, magnificent people, uh, getting yeah, to see it well, a little I think, early. I think they were just worried that people were going to spoil it. 
Yeah, I think they were worried about spoilers. And also, I think it was a really smart move to get the jump on Stranger Things by a couple of hours as well. <laughs> because, you know, like, so they, they, I think they dropped it, it was like three o'clock Australian time and Stranger Things dropped at five. I could be remembering that. I think I'm pretty sure yeah. it was the same day. And I, I think by just going a couple hours earlier, it sort of put pressure on, you know, because if your mate watches Kenobi and, and starts tweeting about it or whatever, then you're like, oh, well, I guess I've got to watch Kenobi first, you know, so I don't get spoiled. Yeah, absolutely. And we didn't know. Like we went in, you know, we went in on the days before, on the, like literally the day before going, we don't even have a plan of where we're going to watch this yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was looking like we were going to have people around at our Airbnb because we didn't have you know, any small children, we had a reasonably big place and we had a big TV. So, you know, leading up on that day, we were kind of going, all right, well, we'll suss it out at the end of the day. Um, and it, it was kind of good because the people who didn't get into the into the screening rooms only had to wait a couple of hours to watch it and not sort of wait till midnight because we were going, well, if we have to wait till midnight, then it'll be 2 a.m. by the time we finish. Mm. Um, I was doing little blog pods going, all right, well, are we going to do a reaction after this? Am I going to be, is it going to be three in the morning before I get to bed? <laughs> um <laughs> So that was definitely, I mean, the hype was definitely there for all of it. There was quite a lot of, I mean, I think there was quite a lot of hype for Bad Batch, actually. Mm. Everybody got quite pumped about that. and and met, But all everybody was pretty, there was no really lulls on anything. Like Andor got, the Andor trailer got a really good reception because yeah. we kind of got a feel for what the vibe of it was and got an idea of what to expect. And I think it, the sort of the seriousness of it and the tone, really people went, oh, yeah, this is, this is cool and this is the scope is a lot bigger than I think we sort of thought it was going to be. Mm. Um, I wasn't in the Mando Plus panel. People raved about that and saw the, a little bit of the Ahsoka footage and a little bit more. We saw, some, we saw the Mando trailer or the original one in the Lucasfilm thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a little bit of disappointment at the end of the Lucasfilm one that there was no talk of movies, mm. um, especially I think because the day, the next day or later that day somebody asked Kathy Kennedy about, when the next movie was going to be. And she said that it would be Tyker's movie and it would be the end of next year. And it was sort of like, we're not a hundred percent, but we're pretty confident that's what it's going to be. And we're, we're all a bit just like, Oh, that was the, that's the sting. Why don't you just end the Lucasfilm panel with that and just have a, give us anything. But they said that the Disney one's coming up soon. There'll be more, there'll be more on that. But yeah. um, it, yeah, I think, you know, Everybody got really excited in the Lucasfilm panel. I mean, the stuff about Willow and Indiana Jones was cool, but it certainly didn't get the, the juices pumping. I mean, everybody was there for Star Wars. I mean, everyone was happy to see Harrison Ford. But then even then, he kind of came out and said some nice words about John Williams, who was there, but we didn't get it. We got like a, a sort of like a publicity, almost like a artwork. There was no title. There was no nothing else, the indie stuff, no footage or anything. So, um. But yeah, there didn't really seem to be anything anything that people were kind of dismissive of. I would have liked to get something on the acolyte as well, but we didn't get anything mm. on that. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I think Obi Wan. I mean, Obi Wan was the star of the show. I mean, Ewan McGregor was there. He was active pretty much every day of celebration, whether he was on the stage or not. He turned up at the Attack of the Clones panel with Hayden as well. He did photos. He did autographs. It was a real victory lap, it felt like. It sort of, I kind of felt like that it was sort of like how, how this is how he probably felt it was going to be the first time around. Mm. Mm. That he was going to be in Star Wars 
and it was going to be a certain way and he was going to get a certain reaction and be, and and get all the love. And I think it's sort of taken 20 years to get to that position to make it to, where he feels like he's been not accepted, but you know what I mean? Like he doesn't have to sort of rationalise or, or uh, you kind of hope that people enjoy. I think he kind of just felt that he was like the key, he was like the prom king of celebration, <laughs> essentially. You know, and Hayden Christensen's good too, but he's not, he's obviously a naturally pretty reserved guy. I think mm. Ewan, Hayden was very, uh, Ewan was very much just like, I'm the prom king. Uh, I'll, I'll show up. I'll, I'll give the people what they want. If they want to hear me say a line, I'll do a line. And, and um, yeah, and people lapped it up and, you know, I, I I was on my podcast a few weeks ago going, oh, he'll definitely turn up for the panel, but there's no way Hugh McGregor does photos. There's no way Hugh McGregor does autographs. Like, he's Hugh McGregor. He doesn't, he doesn't need – I was looking at it from a pure like, what's he doesn't need the money. Like, mm. why would he do it? But it, it was really like he, he genuinely wanted to to engage and, and promote and feel the love, and um, I think that, that was very evident. Yeah. He's, uh, he's just had a baby, hasn't he? So he probably does need the money. <laughs> he might just, he's under the second wife yeah so maybe he yeah. does yeah i think they were like him and andy like, can compare notes maybe yeah that's right yeah i think they were like 300 dollars a pop or something in order, a, a photo yeah. with you mcgregor i think it was wow. something and people you know and people paid it because yeah I, it was one of those things where you kind of go i didn't think it would ever happen like where he you know it, it's not like he he's short on on roles and and, and work mm. and stuff but mm. um yeah, he um but he was there. I think he was there every day of celebration, I think. I don't yeah. think he missed a day, which I was sort of just like, oh great. So yeah, we got we were at the at the live stage and we he was like a stone's throw away and his and uh, uh, Matt who Matt who stayed with us, Matt Mole, he got a photo with him and um he said it was great, you know, for the mm-hmm. 30 seconds of interaction that you yeah. get or whatever <laughs> it is and you get the photo. Yeah. So yeah, good on him. It's interesting because this could be, you know, who knows if he'll go to another celebration. Like, you know, this, in theory, Kenobi is a limited series, although certainly, you know, him saying at celebration, I hope you guys enjoy episode, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, does sort of, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, yeah. going the full LeBron promising ten championships with the heat does um, <laughs> sort of raise, raise doubts about like. It's not better. forced material without a basketball analogy. There you go. Yeah, I've already uh, made a football analogy and lost <laughs> half the audience. But. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, in theory, it's a limited series. So, like, there's not really any, like, promotion, you know, promotion wise, there's no real reason for him to go back uh, another time. Um, no. So, but not even the, to do the full days. Like uh, that's like I thought. Like I thought the first day at the at the, the the day it dropped, absolutely he would be there. Especially since it's in in California as well, and mm. he's just got to drive down the road. I assume he lives in California. At least spends a lot of time there. Mm. But the fact he sort of stuck it out and did the whole did the whole thing, um, yeah, and seemed to enjoy it. You know, and it, and then he's just he sort of started. I think on the last day he just turned up on the live stage sort of unannounced. And it was just, like I said, he was just like the king of <laughs> the king of celebration, kind yeah. of just doing what he liked. I saw that little bit on the on the live stream uh, where he turned up on that stage and he was just like, if you want your photos, I've got 20 minutes left. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I just want to say yeah, I've had a great just like, I've just been so. <laughs> told I've got a bit some more baby formula so I could use, use a bit of loose change. So <laughs> yeah. you could pull an Anthony Daniels and just, you know, <laughs> Do it in the do it in a basement across the road from celebration in cash only kind of thing. And, yeah. 
Um, I've, got a, I've got a large, uh, very extensive motorcycle trip to finance. Uh, in, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I watched the last series of that where he went up from uh, the very tip of South America back to LA. Um, and at one point he, he, he stayed with a family and the, the old guy was like trying to figure out where he knew him from. <laughs> and he finally got it. He nailed it. He was like, the island. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Big what a Scott random thing. A random thing to, to know Ewan McGregor from, you know? It's like, it's crazy. There was no island after all. Like, it's because it, I was shocked. Oh, well, the, the famous one in that is where he, he goes to Tunisia with his mate and they go to the to the Lars homestead and all the people there don't even realise, don't recognise Ewan McGregor. And there's someone stuck a picture. Someone had stuck a picture of him as Obi-Wan Kenobi on the wall. And they still didn't click that there was still. I know he had the. I mean, he might even had the. They beard, probably thought it was more obvious. Beavis, to be fair. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's very. True. <laughs> so um, yeah, it 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 was great fun. I'd love to do it again. And we we just had a ball. It was a lot of late nights and and things. And you know, there's always little grievances. You kind of go, oh, you know, there could have been more food and access to food and the lines and things for that were long and mm. and whatever else and some of the queuing stuff was a little bit weird but they were all sort of minor things really you, you kind of make your own fun and i think the more you go and the more sort of connections you make the more enjoyable it is really and you know a lot of the time i was just sort of walking around and would run into to friends and see things and people a few people actually stopped me and told me they liked the podcast which is always a bit weird and even considering that I had a mask on and I wasn't wearing the beanie a lot of the time as well, that people could just recognize you from the glasses. So there was, yeah, there was the mask wearing and that was, that was, you know, coming from Melbourne lockdowns and Melbourne, like, you know, that was a walk in the park for us. You know, it was that like, you know, you were, mm. uh, you know, you, what is it? You trained in the dark. I was born in it. You know, that thing, like we'd, yeah, we'd yeah, done, yeah. The, we'd done the miles. So Wearing the mask and stuff didn't really phase us, but it, it kind of varied. It, it got quite loose in, at some points and people weren't we were really wearing them, but pretty much everybody in our crew was very good. Unfortunately, a few people got COVID at the end, um, which isn't super surprising given the proximity of the people and stuff. But um, we were just lucky that Australia didn't require a negative test to get back into the country. And like, yeah. it, just to be serious, because like uh, Turbo, Matthew Thurban, good mate of mine he you know he got covid and he didn't find it till he got home and he could have had to spend another week waiting to either get on a plane or in a quarantine and stuff like that and i think yeah. in you're when you're away even though we were only away for a week it's sort of by the time you get to the end you're ready to get home see your family and stuff like yeah. that the whole idea of just being to having to, to sit out another week would have been tough so um I'm not surprised that a lot of people got COVID, but I mean, that's what we have vaccinations for and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Hopefully nobody got too crook, but mm. um, they didn't really police the masks at all. They really, I didn't really see anybody tell anybody not to wear a mask, but I think it was more group, group pressure and things for the most part. So um, I understand that uh, you spent a few days in Anaheim after celebration and you were coming back around about the time Obi-Wan Kenobi episode three was about to drop and there was a pretty close shave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, was, I wasn't going to see it at all because originally I was supposed to fly out not about 9.30 p.m. Uh, Anaheim time on Tuesday night, which would have got me sort of in at 6 a.m. on Thursday morning in Melbourne 
so I could start work at 9 a.m. <laughs> that day. Wow. And then I got to the airport. So I assumed that I wasn't going to see Kenobi, that I, w- I was basically going to be in the air. And then I kept going, well, am I going to get home and have time to get organized before work and watch it so I don't have to stay off the internet all night and then try to find time to watch it? And then my, my flight got delayed about three hours. So I was sitting in the airport. We all got on the plane. And then we all got off the plane because something with the air conditioner wasn't working. They had to order a part. And I'm just sitting in the lounge complaining about it. And we had a little sort of DM group with the people that we sort of hung around at Celebration. And someone said, well, you know, how long have you got before you, you fly? I'm like, oh, it's probably going to be like midnight. And they said, well, Kenobi drops at midnight. Why don't you see if you can get on the, on the LAX Wi-Fi and download it onto your, onto your iPad? So, yeah, we, I, I managed to get on and then they sort of said we're going to start boarding in about 10 minutes and I was just sat there watching the little slow <laughs> LAX, like the little, the little download circle going around and I think like, I, I got it down with about two minutes to spare before we had to sort of queue up. <laughs> so then I ended up watching it on the plane, you know, after we took off and had, so it was probably about the equivalent of 2.30 in the morning, I think it was, of, by the, you know, because I was awake by the time we got on the plane and watched it. So... I think I was watching it going, is my brain frying? Like, is my brain fried? I'm like, am I actually watching what's happening in this episode? Um, so I actually watched it again today at lunch because I knew I was talking to you guys as well. But um, it was, yeah, I mean, it, it, they certainly went they went for it and it, it, the, it certainly went places and did stuff that I didn't think was going to happen until later on in the series. But I'm, kinda, I'm glad that they did. I sort of mm. like the idea that they they kind of had a swing at each other before they have another swing at each other, I think. That's right. As, as you say, I think all, all of us were expecting this to maybe happen in episode five or six of this show. So, you know, for this meeting to happen now, it really just sort of opens up the possibilities of like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the way. Anything can happen. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a good way of actually sort of showing how out of his depth Obi-Wan is and how we how sort of rusty he is and, and not so much broken, I think, but you know he's got to get it, kind of get his confidence back, and how much in danger he actually is too. I think if we just got the showdown at the end, and he'd kind of gone through this journey, and now he's like, all right, now I'm ready to, you know, I've, I've got my mojo back, I'm ready to roll, which may still happen at the end. Um, I like the idea that he he was sort of ill prepared, um, mm. and he was still kind of just reeling from the fact that that Anakin was still alive and things as well. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I feel like that they've already decided that they're going to do another series and I wouldn't be surprised if this ends on a cliffhanger and mm. they actually go, we're, we're back, this story is not done. Um, whether it involves Vader or, or, or not um, or little Leia. I mean, one of the things that I'd sort of said after the reaction when I saw the first episode was how little Leia looked for a 10-year-old, just the size of her and things. I think she had the attitude, but I think it was purposely cast that way because so she didn't age out if they brought her back that all of a sudden you, you cast a 10-year-old, she could hit puberty a year later and all of a sudden you've got like a, uh, you know, she looks like she's she's aged out. So um, I think they're in this for the, at least one more season, I think. That's a great theory. I love it. Yep, because, you, you know, that, that's the thing. She does look, she moves kind of. Like she's younger than ten. I don't know what age the actress is. I yeah. think she's eight. Yeah, we have eight. Look. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, mm. I mean, my daughter Oliver's six, and she would be as big as her. Yeah. Um, she doesn't have the. Yeah, you know, she could. She talks like a six-year-old. She's pretty good. She doesn't have the <laughs> the sass of a princess Leia. But yeah. um, but yeah, I don't know. I just I just feel like that 
they're going, it's going to continue in, in some shape or form or the other, which I, I kind of like the idea of. I, I like the idea that we don't have to sort of kill everybody off straight away. And where, even if the Vader thing is resolved, then it's something else. But um, we'll see. I don't know whether Vader's story is intrinsically linked to, to Obi-Wan and that's the end of it when this wraps up and you go on to another thing or do you want to bring him back up? I'm, I'm not too sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, I do wonder about... Um, you know the longevity of of having him face Vader in another series because it's, it's always going to have to be off Tatooine, isn't it? Vader's never going to be able to to know where Obi Wan goes back to, to, where his real mission lies. Yeah, so always going to have to be yeah off planet. But and uh, they can't just keep kind of running into each other as well. Like yeah. I think that <laughs> it kind of has to be a. That's why I kind of feel like maybe the Vader stuff does get resolved, and mm. you can tell other stories and um you know, do it another way. So which whether it's he fakes his death at the end or they think he's dead or, or however that goes, I'm not I'm not too sure. But um I mean the thing the, the funny thing that really stuck out for me uh, out of this more than not more than anything, but one of the big things that kind of shook me was just how on point Vader's voice was. It mm. sounded exactly like that they sort of classic era, you know, because they'd sort of used James L. Jones in Rise of Skywalker briefly in Rogue One and it sounds like a man in his 80s doing Vader, which is what he is. But this just sounded like early 80s Vader. So I don't know whether they've got that sort of keyboard synthesizer voice thing that they did with Luke, with Hamill's voice in Mandalorian mm-hmm. or... Yeah, they it was- do. Um, so re-speecher is the technology. So it's credited in the in the at the very end of the credits of this episode, basically. Um, so uh, they definitely okay. used re-speecher. Do you watch... Have you ever seen 30 Rock? The, the, the Tina Fey. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen the episode where Jack Donaghy finds out that they've sold his voice? To, yes. He, he sold his voice. He's using it to, <laughs> sell, to sell products and things like that. That's what I just keep thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the Jack Donaghy 3000 or whatever it is. But, yeah, I thought that was, you know, it was great seeing Vader. One of the other things that was quite fun, it was, um, you know, these new lightsabers that they, they stunt lightsabers that they use that actually they fight with that glow. So mm-hmm. you get this real amazing glow effect on Vader that you've never really had before because before you'd have the, you know, you'd have the stick and they'd basically paint the blade on it. Maybe Rogue One, he had it a bit, but it was really pronounced in this because they were fighting in the dark, which, they have, mm. which was really cool. And you got this amazing sort of glow effect off the sabers as well, which I thought was really, really cool. I yeah. thought that was really, really unreal. It was a nice way of doing it because they really they lit up the ground as as they both ran all over the the mining spoil heaps. Yeah, you know, in between you those, get, and, you know, you could see that these scale and yeah, um, and just seeing Vader outside. I don't think I'd seen him like outside of a, spa- a starship or a or a corridor or um, a throne room or anything like that. Like just sort of yeah, seeing him in, the, in outdoors was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I saw a few criticisms of the setting floating around um, in terms of, you know, people saying, oh, it looks, I don't know, looks cheap or whatever. And I I thought it was really cool to see it in that, to see, you know, them in this sort of dusty, you know, very real gritty sort of environment. I thought that was was really fun. I thought that was a great choice. Yeah. Yeah, because you've got those stunt sabers and things, you can, like you said, Baz, you can get all those lighting effects and things that you couldn't really get. You know, mm-hmm. when you're in a controlled environment, you're in a corridor, you're like, well, it doesn't really matter because you're in a corridor. And here you're like, mm-hmm. you play with the light and the, you know, I, I like the idea that he kind of didn't know where he was and he sort of snuck up on him and it was basically just toying with Obi-Wan really to a little mm-hmm. bit and then chucks him in that fire. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, he's not mucking around. <laughs> no. 
He's uh, he's getting his, his literal revenge. You know, he's yeah. doing to Obi Wan what Obi Wan what he perceives Obi Wan has, has done to him. Yeah, um, I mean, we've never seen him like this before, right? Like because you know, yeah. in in uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi, you know, he's obviously not trying to kill Luke. Uh, you know, he's trying to to turn him. Um, yep. Even in even in Rogue One, we definitely see like a scary, you know, horror movie style Darth Vader in that corridor scene. But like, you know, that's that's Vader clocking in, you know, punching his card, going to work, doing his thing, killing rebels for the Emperor. This was like, this was personal. Like this was yeah, like this we, is, we've never seen him this angry and hate. Yeah, this is like the thing he's been stewing over for about you know for ten years of just like mm. this is the the prick who did this to me. Uh, they never found the body. And essentially, uh, this whole operation is, you know, whether I don't know whether it's him or if it's the Emperor who's done it all together. Or like, he, he's almost like the whole purpose of me, this whole program is me to eventually find Obi-Wan Kenobi and yeah. burn him alive for what he's done to me. And I'm in this stupid suit and I hate it. And here I am. <laughs> and um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And it's, it's, um, it's good. Like, it, it really does, like you said, it shows that really personal side of it and just... I mean, I'm not too sure. I mean, one of the, the theories, you know, one of the big things in Star Wars you always talk about, especially now that we've got all these fillers, is like who knows what when, who knows this and who knows that. And it was always, you know, my, my sort of theory going into Kenobi was always going, well, maybe the plot kicks off that the Empire actually finally gets around to Tatooine because it's the ass end of the galaxy. And then Obi-Wan kind of realises that, even hears that the Darth Vader is around because he's, he's just been isolated or whatever. So, mm. I mean, it's not exactly clear whether he's, it seems like he didn't even know Darth Vader existed really. No. Um, but you kind of knew what the deal with the Inquisitors were. But, you know, Vader was kind of operating in the background and maybe we even might have been a bit of an urban legend or a boogeyman and he's just mm. kind of like, I'm coming front and centre now because um, I, can, I, can, I can get this Kenobi guy. Mm. On, the, on the last podcast we were... Um, talking about uh, what ages these characters would be, and I, I just can't, I can't get over it. Um, on the last podcast, I was wrong. I, I thought Vader was getting into his forties here. He's actually thirty-one. I went, I went and looked it up today and did the yeah, math. Yeah, so I was he, curious, twenty you know, in twenty in Attack of the Clones or twenty-one in Attack of the Clones, something like that. Yeah, so, so that makes him twenty-four. Or no, no I, I looked at he's he's thirty-one in in this, and uh, and Kenobi is forty-seven. In this. Right. So he must have been so, uh, 19, Tackle of the Clothes, 21, yeah. 22, <laughs> Reg of the Sith. Yeah, right. And I just, I can't wrap my head around a 31 year, like a millennial Darth Vader, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in this suit. Like, just, he's an angry young man, is what he is here. Well, he's, he's taken out in his prime, wasn't he? You know, like he sort of, he only got a couple of good years on top. And um, but even yeah. that, that sort of shot where he hallucinates and he thinks he sees. Hayden Christensen in the cloak and stuff as well. Like mm-hmm. it was funny. Like it, you know, when I saw Hayden Christensen up close, you know, at least when I literally walked past him, like he's got <laughs> the face. Oh, there's a yeah, clang. He's got, but he's got the. Fa- you know, he and I are probably roughly the same age in our early forties. I mean, he's way more handsome than I am, but you can see the like. He's got the the lines are on the face. The age is sort of there, but even then, you kind of go, okay, well, I could possibly see that he's aging into that vision of the old man that gets the mask taken off. And even they kind of do this in here, you know, and you see him in the tank and they bring the thing down. It's like, all right, yeah, he like, he's looking, 
he's kind of like pickled most of the time. Mm. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he's sort of all sort of spongy and 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 kind of pickled. He sort of exists just to sort of get revenge, and the rest of the time he just sort of sits in that tank feeling sorry for himself. Yeah, mm. I uh, I kind of love the um, uh, the idea that he's burned Obi Wan pretty badly there, um, because I realize that we don't really see. Obi Wan's torso and arms bare at any point in mm. in in a New Hope or anything. So you know he could carry those scars for the rest of his life. It might be something serious enough that Bacter can't just wash it away. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I don't know whether their purpose to try to retcon the, you know, that by the time they meet on the Death Star, they're both past their prime. You yeah. know, they're sort of swinging <laughs> each other a little bit and things. Yeah. But fine if they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. Like it doesn't really matter. Like who cares? Yeah. Like I, it's. I think it was. The, you know, the way that Vader fought, you know, he was v- the most aggressive we've seen him fight in anything. Um, but at the same time, it still felt like Vader just, you know, even when he was just using the one hand at things as well, you know, being quite aggressive. Yeah. Obi-Wan sort of holding on for dear life, just trying to sort of parry and, and stay mm. at it. But um, oh, but I love the whole idea that there was sort of the, un- you know, the, the, the underground railroad-ish of the Jedi, yeah. the path thing where they were sort of sneaking Jedi out or force users and things. I thought that was really cool. Um, you know, I'd love want to really find out more about um, Reva as well and what her story is. I think it's pretty clear that she was probably one of those kids at the, at the start of the first episode. Yeah. So whether she, you know, she got out or she got caught and seems to blame Obi-Wan one way or the other, whether it, he didn't see them or she thought she saw him and he just walked on or for whatever reason or whether it's just because he's a Jedi in general that she feels aggrieved to it. But um, I think that's quite an interesting you know, I was slot point. thinking about this, and didn't uh, in episode three, didn't Obi Wan send a message out telling all Jedi to stay away from the temple? Yeah, so basically denying her any kind of hope of rescue. So if you know, if if she's alone in the temple with these younglings, there's no hope of her. No one's coming. And she for sees her a message Obi-Wan's. from Obi Wan saying, yeah. "Hey, everybody, don't don't turn up." And they all of a sudden, yeah. that's that's a really good point, actually. So he's, he's like, abandoned. "You stood there and told everybody yeah, to not yeah. come and help us, and we just basically got caught." And yeah, yeah, I really like that. Actually, I'm thinking that um, might be part of her motivation for this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She's absolutely got an axe to grind. Mm. Um, so I'm curious to see where where, where she goes with that. And, and um, I don't think the, I mean. The Grand Inquisitor is a funny one because you know, obviously, that looks like the, he's he's carked it, but he turns up in Rebels. So whether it's a retcon, he gets some he gets some robot guts, or if it's just another bloke who looks like it, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just another guy who, who they've got waiting in the wings to take over. I'm not too sure, but um, yeah, I, I loved all that and I love the layer stuff. I think that's just and it's just been yeah. great. And the, the little nods to Padme has been really really nice as well. And um, I, I, even the guy, like the friendly guy with the with the imperial bumper sticker on his car, yeah, he, who just fre- <laughs> who who freaked them over, you know. <laughs> he was yeah, the Zach Braff friend. Of all people, yeah, Zach Braff, yeah. I, I think he's Doing one a, of the- a Seth Rogen impression almost. Yeah, it was, weird, uh, yeah. It was like Zach Braff <laughs> as Seth Rogen as Freck. Yeah, I'm yeah. absolutely fascinated by that character because it's it's not often we see uh, non human. Imperial collaborators. Mm. Um, you know, there's only what the Garindan, the guy with the radio and in, in uh New York. Yeah, I, yeah, I can think of off the top of my head, but it's it's not often you see aliens that are happy to go along with the Empire and make friends with them and do favors for stormtroopers and stuff. But yes, I mean that the bumper sticker was kind of chilling. It was it's like, you know, Obi-Wan's looking at it the way that 
Indiana Jones would look at a swastika. You know, it's yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, yeah, and, and the thought that it's hand painted, so he's made it himself. Uh, you know, clearly it's not been issued to him. It's mm-hmm. it's just a bodged up thing. So this guy's like a real imperial sympathizer, like a mm. full on collaborator. But it's interesting, though. I feel like we're at a point in the in the in the timeline, though, where like that doesn't automatically mean that you're a bad guy. Yeah, because I think they sort of laid the groundwork before that scene where. You know, even layers kind of like, well, isn't the Empire meant to be helping people or whatever? And and you know, um, I, I'm forgetting the name of the 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 woman who the character who helps them later on. But you know, she willingly joined the Empire and thought that they were, you know, that they that they stood for something good. So yeah, it was. I mean, it was effectively a government job, wasn't it? You yeah, know, it was just it was just like you're working for the government, and now they're just slightly more organised. They've had a little rebrand. Um, but effectively, you know, that was always the genius of the, the prequels. Of effectively, it wasn't really a takeover. It was sort of the same people just got a bit more organised. <laughs> you could you could definitely believe that for people just you know who haven't seen the films living in in the galaxy, like this is the guy who stopped the war. Like this is you know we've 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 brought peace and prosperity to the galaxy and all. But like you could see how people would buy into that for a little while at least. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It is an interesting, an interesting turning point, isn't it? Because it's sort of the winners and the losers. You know, there's definite winners and there's definite losers. And, you know, Obi-Wan gets to the plant and he's like, well, this used to be all green and they've kind of just stripping it from, you know, like Freck might be getting a steady paycheck that he never had before and that's why he loves it. He's like, well, you know, maybe it's not as green as it used to be, but, hey, man, I've got a, a nice cushy paycheck here. I drive stormtroopers around and they seem to be nice enough to me. And The old economic anxiety. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's all getting a bit too close to the real world for me. <laughs> yeah, um, right, exactly. Yeah. It's that awkward ride. And I think I put a tweet up today to, of that. Of, you know, when I was in Anaheim, I was in an Uber and there was the, the Uber driver, you know, caught the accent. And he was asking me about, like, if he goes to Australia, like, what can he hunt? Like, what animals can he basically shoot? And I was kind of, you know, you have that awkward thing where you're in a car and you're just kind of like, oh, well, you know, we don't really have a huge hunting culture, but I guess, you know, you might be able to shoot a pig if you go to the right place or something <laughs> like that, you know. He's like, oh, well, maybe I'll just go to Africa. I really want to. I'm like, all right, we don't don't shoot anything in Africa. Maybe <laughs> yeah. just don't shoot anything. Yeah. But like, you can't really say that. I'm, I was just like Leia and Obi-Wan in the back, just like, we love the Empire. Yeah, we just... <laughs> It sounds it's like awesome. he'd be happy enough going down to Arkansas and throwing grenades at cows or something. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Stay, stick to your backyard, mate. But yeah. uh... I thought it was interesting with Freck as well that, you know, we're seeing Obi-Wan over the course of the series. Like, we're seeing how cynical he's become at the start of the series and then, you know, gradually maybe having his faith restored a little bit in people, but it's a process because, you know, if they were, if they wanted that to just be a completely straight line, then Freck would have been a good guy and he wouldn't have sort of willingly turned them over to the, the stormtroopers to, um, to, to have a look at. But, you know, the, the idea that he just sort of immediately assumes like, Oh, we were lied to, nobody's coming here to pick us up, mm. you know, let's, yep. let's get out of here. And the fact that like, no, someone was coming, they just had to, you know, wait a few minutes or whatever. So these little, these little moments where you see Obi-Wan start to sort of have his, his faith restored just a little bit after, you know, he was betrayed by the emperor and Anakin and, everybody in the in the prequels yeah and he's also there's also some quite good line blurring of 
you know, and the, and the sort of, you know, flipping of characters, you know, Kamal Ninjani's character as well, where he sort of says he'll help Obi-Wan and then immediately it looks like he's going to screw him over and then he actually does help him. You know, he, he wants to get paid a little bit as well, but he's like, you know, he was actually part of this organisation to get people off planet and things. You know, he took a little cream off the top, but um, you know, as he's well, which I, I love, I love that character. But um, yeah, same. You know, and that same thing again, that you sort of see the, the freck pick them up and you're like, oh, he might be part of that group that were coming to help them over. And then he just, he, he literally just hands them to the stormtroopers straight away. Like, um, it's a quite an interesting thing, like you said, because it's that transition phase where you, you know, where do people's allegiances lie? And then the, uh, like you said, I've forgotten their character's name too, but she, you know, she had the imperial uniform that she was literally in the empire, um, mm. it seems. And she's been sort of using a position to, to get people off world, world and things. So, um, it's, it's, it's good. It, it, it's, I like the idea that like the gray areas of things. And this is a guy who's been in a cave for 10 years, essentially, and had no yeah. really, he's not really quite sure what to expect from the outside world as well. So he's just like, well, when I left it, these were the bad guys and these were the good guys. And um, now I'm not really quite sure what to believe. Mm. Yeah. I, I wonder what, what's happened to him at the end of this episode is going to do for his cynicism. Mm. Um, yeah. Sure. You know, is it, is it going to galvanize him into action when, once he makes a recovery? Is it going to, be better for him to have had that injury to snap him out of his because you know he's he's lost he hasn't lit a lightsaber for 10 years he's he's scared of vader he's giving in to fear in that fight um so and maybe this is layer now gonna, too so yeah. that's the yeah. other thing so it's either do i front myself up to to get layer or do i you know what do i do here do do, do they if they draw me out you know they're using her to get to me so do i just walk do I just walk the path or walk directly to them? Or I, I, the same thing as well. It's like, well, I can't go back. I can't, I can't just go back to Tatooine now because I don't know if anybody's watching me or my, my mm-hmm. face is out there now. And yeah, it's an interesting one to sort of see where he ends up now. My one criticism of this episode would be that I've no doubt that Darth Vader could just walk through that fire. Oh my God. Any damage. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a bit sort of like, he just was like, well, this looks too hard. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's got it. Maybe he might have a fear of fire. I mean, quite interesting. Yeah. Quite that's interesting true. character yeah. thing where he's just kind of like fire um, sand. Yeah. Uh, fire <laughs> sand. Glass. The list of planets <laughs> he can go to. Are- <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, given, given that he literally seconds earlier, put the fire out by himself when he force pushed yeah. uh, Kenobi back. Now, obviously this was a bigger fire that he didn't start. So maybe that somehow limited what he could do, but that was very strange. And also it, it really looked like he could have just sort of walked, walked around the fire. Almost. <laughs> yeah. it wasn't and then he was gone at the end. They're like, Oh, he's gone. And we were like, well, he must be gone now. It's like, really? Like he, <laughs> yeah. he was, he, he was, he was carried up by, by a reasonably slow droid. Slow droid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm assuming that they had a transport sort of just there ready to, to, to jump in and to, and to zip off. Mm. That um, must have been it. Because, I mean, there's even that moment where is it, you know, the Fifth Brothers, like, you know, scan the planet and it's like, maybe just check behind that rock. Like, maybe just, just look <laughs> if he's hiding behind that, you know, that, that bit of gravel there that you can, yeah. like, have a look at these wide open planes where he's apparently run away from you somehow with his, with his loader droid. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that was all a bit of a, a bit of a stretch. It's very much that sort of old school serial storytelling where it's like, well, the good guy has to get out of this somehow. And whether or not it completely makes sense is sort of, uh, you know, we can fudge it a little bit. Well, it's a television thing as opposed to a movie. You know, if it had been a movie, it would have played out probably a bit differently. 
yeah. um, but you can kind of end up, you know, because you're still effectively ending on a a cliffhanger of of, of Reva picking up Leia, um, yeah. mm. and how does that work? But um, yeah, I don't shout, know. Shout like, out do, to uh, the the binary load lifter scene actually lifting a load at the end. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Um, that that character's called Ned B. I wonder if Ewan had anything to do with that because in in Scotland a Ned is like a um, a, a lower class uh, kind of bogan chavy type person. Oh right, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like some local colloquialisms in there. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, do you think that Vader and Leia will go face to face, or do you think that's a step too far? Mm. Uh, I think that's a step too far. But I mean, it's it's not like in in A New Hope. I don't get the impression that that's the first time those characters have ever met each other. Well, she kind of talks to talks down to him a bit, like he's yeah. just sort of like a like, oh, it's you, like yeah. You know, and, and but she's also sort of, even though you know she knows the gravity of the situation, she talks to him like, my position means that you basically I'm untouchable. You know what I mean? Like only yeah. you would be so bold to pull. Like, don't you know who? Like, what well, you know? You're in the way here. Like, well, you, maybe we've been, you've been in the way before. That's an interesting uh, point because I was thinking about that the other day. Like when, I, when we were watching this, I'm like, say they rescue Leia, and you know, obviously they will, and get her back to her older aunt and so on. Now that they know this works, isn't the plan just like just keep kidnapping Leia? You know, that's, that's <laughs> the only way to get Kenobi to come out. So, like, I guess the security detail on older aunt gets beefed up quite a bit, or you know, she stops uh, going on little solo adventures, little runs to the yeah. Oh, look. Uh- or whether it kind of gets back to, she's just like, well, I got kidnapped by some inquisitors who do work for the government unofficially or not. And Darth Vader was there. So they might be like, all right, well, we can't, this is, we've still got to show, because it isn't really till a new hope where they basically go, all right, we're dissolving this Senate. We're blowing up planets. The, the empire is no mm. longer pretending to be the government. Now we're basically mm-hmm. just dictating terms. So I think there is a level of kind of like, well, we have to do this shonky stuff in the background because, we have to give the perception that we're a functioning government for the most part. So people don't rise up and effectively, you know, <laughs> become this form of rebellion. So there might mm. be a point of like, well, we've tried that, you know, we might be able to frame it a little bit that, um, that plausible deniability, but if we come back and we try it again, <laughs> it might be it look a little bit, maybe we just don't send flea next time. Maybe we get yeah. a bit more sophisticated. <laughs> Yeah, I um I also love that line about um you know where Leia says to Obi Wan, "Are you my real dad?" Mm. Um, and I kind of almost wish that he was. Did you think he said, "I wish I was," because it's Natalie Portman? <laughs> He's just like, well, you know what he <laughs> yeah. would have meant. Like, yeah, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I um I've talked about this in the podcast before, but I, I always wish that there was a proper love triangle there in Episode Three. It would really have given Anakin some reason to be jealous and given Obi-Wan like a big character flaw. Yeah. I'll be the boring, the boring person here. I, I don't I don't think there was any sort of like, you know, oh, I wish I'd been the one who had a romantic relationship with Padme sort of reading to that line. I think it was just like, it would be better for you if I was your dad. Because I know what yep. your dad is now. And, yep. you know, like it, it would it would be better for all of us if I was your dad. But you know, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. I didn't. No, it was an interesting. It's an interesting wasn't one with that with um with Leia asking about because you kind of go, all right, well, this guy clearly knows who my you know a little bit of research clearly knows who my mum was. Probably wouldn't have been that hard to find out who she was. Probably wouldn't have been that hard to find out who she was hanging around with. But um, 
it seems that you know she doesn't. <laughs> she seems pretty happy with uh, even the fact that she knew she was adopted. I wasn't even quite sure whether they would even know that. Like mm. at that at that age, I don't. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'd, you know, people who have adopted children, depending on the ages and the babies and things, when they tell them these things, but um, I don't think she's one you can get much past. I do think that I, I was saying this on Twitter the other day, but I, I mean, I don't know if this is a, a you know. A, a force power we've canonically seen before, but I think that by the end of this series, like Obi-Wan will somehow sort of give her the gift of like being able to just give her, you know, maybe like a few seconds or something, just some like fleeting, like pass on some, somehow transfer some sort of, you know, brief memories of, of Padme. Um, both because that could maybe be a nice moment that they've been building to with him, you know, constantly saying like, you remind me of your mother, etc. But also mm-hmm. because for the, you know, the real continuity sticklers who have been complaining about it for decades, it will, it will answer the whole, uh, how does Leia, how does Leia remember her real mother and Luke doesn't, um, yep. scene in, in Return of the Jedi. I've always said that like, for me, the, the explanation for that is like, well, you know, Leia's not like a she's an empath. She's kind of using the force like instinctively subtly in ways that Luke isn't, you know, and, and not deliberately like, whereas, you know, Luke is using it completely differently. And I feel like maybe somehow she has some sort of sense memory of her mother from that. But yeah, if you, you know, if they do this and if they give us some sort of canonical, some sort of, you know, maybe a little bit of a firmer explanation for how she remembers Padme, I'd be fine with that as well. That'd be really, I never really thought of that. I, I quite like that, that almost like a parting gift that he gives her kind of thing of just, yeah. like, you know, yeah, just, you know, here's something to, to you to think about, your, you know, just some, some flashes of her or, or something yeah. like that. And it's kind of, I've I, I really liked how they've, they've really lent into to that part of it. Um, I just think that, yeah, I just think the casting's spot on with her. Like, even though, like I said, I think she plays a little young, but she, 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 really sort of carries it no problems and it's it's just a nice little i mean star wars and little kids <laughs> maybe they're leaning on it too much but they always seem to find an angle or find a different way to approach it and things that's really that's really cool and i don't really have any yearning to see young luke to be honest i'm quite happy mm. to stick with young Leia, and i think that would just throw a little a bit of a monkey wrench maybe the last episode they might do something i think they'll go back to, to i mean he'll end up back at tatooine at the end obviously but um do we know that? Um, because, you know, obviously he does end up on Tatooine before A New Hope, but mm. how quickly does he end up back there? Because, I mean, I, I, I was sort of, I think the limited nature of this series was part of what appealed to me about it when it started. The fact that it was, you know, six episode limited series, essentially the closest thing that Lucasfilm was going to get to making a movie um, at any time in the near future. Um, as opposed to this thing that just sort of this open-ended thing that continued on forever and ever and ever. But, you know, you see Obi-Wan reacting to, you know, being shown this sort of Jedi underground. Um, You know, you see his reaction to knowing that Quinlan is part of this and um, Mm -hmm. uh, Tala, his character's name, Um, you know, that, that Tala, this sort of just ordinary... Uh, human has 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 you know who as far as we know does not have jedi powers has been um you know ri- risking her life to to be part of this that that there's all these sort of ordinary people and 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 surviving jedi who are risking themselves to try and do something 
you know, could this be building to maybe Obi-Wan realising he actually doesn't have to just sit around on Tatooine and wait for Luke to grow up to have some sort of positive impact? Like, he can sort of be involved on the periphery. He can sort of, you know, go and have little adventures and, and uh, you know, help people get from one place to another and evade the Empire and, and just sort of claim little victories against the Empire, basically, until he's ready to kind of go all in and, uh, and, and sort of point Luke at um, at Darth Vader and the Emperor. Um, so do you think you know, we might see a more active Obi-Wan at the end of this series? Yeah, I guess it can kind of go either way, isn't it? Because it, it either stirs him into to action or he feels like he needs to do more to, to get it to hide because he had such a close shave. Mm, now, the, the thing is now that, like, he's effectively his face is out there. So it seemed to be that no one really knew where he was or that he was around. Um, although, you know, that, that, that Jedi who turns up in the first episode is kind of like he recognises him and, and, and seeks him out when he's on the run. He was like the dumbest Jedi. I don't, no wonder he, I don't know how he lasted <laughs> as long as he did. Yeah. He, got, he got, you know, he went from being like 10 years on the run to getting busted and killed like pretty quickly. But, um, yeah, so I, I think it'll depend on whether he goes, well, I had a really close shave here. I nearly got busted and I nearly got Leia killed. I've got to absolutely buckle down here and just watch Luke. So I'm going to build a house on top of a hill and get even closer to it and and commit to it all. Like you said, whether he starts doing little adventures or maybe he goes, I just need a proper base of operations here. I can't be doing it in a cave. I can actually do good mm. from a more established place um, and maybe be in more regular contact with Bail Organa. And, you know, mm. it's implied that, that they're in touch a little bit more post this. That It's not sort of... You know, he's he's bail sends later deliver the plans to him. Things it seems like if he'd been in the in the desert for ten years doing nothing, it wouldn't be the first person you'd go to. It seems like it's like oh, your Jedi friend, mm. you know, who's got us out of a few jams before. Um, you know, we'll call on him and he can help us out again. It, it, it seems you know in Rogue One where it's sort of you know one Mothman knows she's just like you know you've got the Jedi you can help us out kind of thing. True, that's a really um, good point. That he might be on call a little bit more. Um, then he's just sort of hiding out in a cave at, at the same time trying to find that balance between sort of making sure that Luke is safe. But, I mean, there's a thing there, like you said, like his face is out there. People know that he's alive. So whatever has to happen in this, at the end of this, whether this is the end or if they lead into a second season, is that Vader's got to at least think that he's out of the game or the Empire has to think he's out of the game or at least that he's he's gone missing, he's gone to ground enough that they don't know he's around. And enough yeah. to dismiss it because I don't think Vader would be giving up the chase unless he, you know, <laughs> we saw how annoyed he was. Mm. I don't think he's just going to go, oh, well, too hard basket. I guess we'll, yeah. we'll, guess we'll never know if we see him again. Well, you know, I have a, sorry, Des. I was going to say, I have a funny feeling that whatever he decides to do at the end of this, whether he goes to ground or whether he helps out with the Jedi path a bit more, um, I have a feeling that. Ghost Qui-Gon is going to be involved in helping him make that decision. Oh, yeah. He's been mentioned far too many times for us to think we're not getting a Liam Neeson cameo yeah. in this series. By the end. Liam Neeson at this yeah. point. He has, to, he has to show up now. <laughs> he has to show up, yeah. <laughs> oh, so that, okay. would, that would free up. If, if uh, Obi-Wan can just leave Ghost Qui-Gon to guard Luke, he can just go and do whatever he wants. Yeah, can, true. Yeah, or, <laughs> get off around the galaxy. <laughs> well, Liam Neeson confirmed had been confirmed for the Tales of the Jedi short series that, that mm. was announced at Celebration as well. So it was just his voice, but I don't, I don't really know what the parameters of 
Qui-Gon's Force Ghost was, whether he could go full ghost or whether he could just be a voice or, mm. or whether they really established that or where where he went after the fact. Or I mean, I know that it's retconning because obviously the character didn't exist when the first movies came out. But, um, you know, Yoda's another thing as well, you know, uh, that who knows what. Does Obi-Wan actually know where Yoda is at all? Or is it sort of I'm not going to tell you anything because then basically if you get caught, you can't. Yeah. know anything as well. So, mm. and that always seemed to be Obi-Wan's attitude. So, I mean, he obviously um, learns at some point before Empire, but, you know, he, he might only not find out once he's a ghost, you know, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, he knows enough to know that Yoda's in the galaxy. Well, actually, he does know where he, he is, doesn't no, he? he, he says, goes, he's got to go to the Dagobah. Dagobah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although he is dead by then. So that's maybe I mean. it could yeah, just maybe be. That's a, yeah. Finds out. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, there's, there's still lots of little things like that that they can. But you know the other possibility that we haven't considered, and, and I don't, I don't think this will happen. But maybe Obi Wan and Darth Vader do meet again in this series, and Obi Wan just roundly defeats him. You know, mm. like that, because that would still play into you know when I left you, I was the I was the learner, and you know you were the master, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, this whole time we've kind of been bagging out George for like you know, isn't it ridiculous that Obi Wan is hiding out on Tatooine next to Luke? That that like it's the dumbest place to hide or whatever. It would be kind of fun if they flipped that and it was kind of like a this planet is protected kind of thing where it's like you mm. better stay away from Tatooine, like because Obi Wan, you know, destroyed you last time you uh, <laughs> you fought. So I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. Clearly, the Obi Wan we see in this series doesn't seem like he's in a position to sort of administer a you know a, a beat down of that level on Darth Vader. But you know, who knows? There's still three episodes left. Yeah, I think the. I think there would be suspicion if he was like, why is Obi-Wan on Tatooine of all the places to be? Like, I know it's remote, but why is it the mm. one where I've got, you know, quote, unquote, a family or at least had history and things like that as well? That does seem a little bit suspicious. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as, as far as Vader is concerned, you know, the kid, the children died with Padme as well. So he has no reason to think otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one, in the comic- one way that uh, I was going to say one way that Obi-Wan could maybe get a drop on Vader as if he got Qui-Gon involved as well. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm on the big Qui-Gon train here, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, Qui-Gon's the, the closest thing that Anakin ever had to a father, really, even mm. though it was a brief, brief time, but you know, he, he acted in a very paternal way towards him and probably even tried to get sweet with his mother. Uh, <laughs> I, I do, I do wonder what the, like what the angle is with the, you know, with the, the seeing Anakin, in places as well. Like they kind of went to the mm. trouble of putting Hayden back in the old costume and yeah, um, and how that's going to work out if, if there is going to be a discussion with the mask off and things. I know we've sort of seen Hayden a little bit with the mask off and things, but, um, you know, what exactly that is. And, I mean, the other thing is like Reva, how does Reva know that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader? Like is, it essentially, is that essentially information that only she knows? You know, did she see... I think so I think she's she, had a run in with the, him at the temple. Yeah. Well, did she and, see the the video of him? Because there's the video that 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 Obi Wan sees where it's you know at the temple where it's like, mm-hmm. oh Lord Vader, go and you know go do this this and that's you know before he he's in the suit. So she might have the information of knowing that Anakin Skywalker called himself Darth Vader, and that's how she knows. She's just like, well, actually, I'm going to keep this to myself mm. until I find it relevant, and I'm going to drop it on Obi Wan. I think yeah. to you know, to draw him out. Because, you know, and I don't need to tell anybody else this. Like, I don't even have to tell Darth Vader this, but I want him to know. Like, I want Obi-Wan to know. Even Tarkin, I think in in uh, James Luceno's Tarkin book, even he only knows Anakin is Darth Vader through some, you know, 
Sherlockian sort of deduction. Like it's not like it's just common knowledge. Well, he is Peter Cushing, you know. So well, yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> it's not like um, it's not like it's a it's a commonly known thing around the empire. So yeah, it's interesting that she that she knows. And mm. you know, there's a lot of really interesting Reva stuff going on. And I think maybe part of it is because she's the only character really who's you know a major character in the series who we don't know about her backstory and we don't know where she's going to end up. And there's a lot of, you know, room there to, to play with. And there's some really interesting things with her performance in this episode with Moses Ingram's performance in this episode, where I, I, I still think there's a, there's a decent chance that there's an ulterior, you know, there's an ulterior motive for this character that, that we don't know anything about yet where, I mean, I thought it was really interesting. The, you know, when she was in the, uh, the, the, just before the, the, you know, the, um, Tala's, uh, house just before the tunnel um and she saw you know the jedi symbol and she kind of mm-hmm. looked really upset for a second like she looked like she was going to cry and then she sort of turned that into very kind of self-consciously channeled that into you know anger and rage and yep. the things that presumably give her 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 power as a dark side user so you wonder if there is some sort of emotional you know as you said josh and we, i think we were saying last week she's she's surely one of those kids from the opening scene of the show so she's yep. got that backstory with the Jedi. And there's also she's got beef with Vader as well. Like I heard a theory today of, you know, maybe she's even doing this to get close enough to Vader to have a swing in him as well. That, that, you know, she saw Anakin cut down, she saw Anakin cut down a bunch of the younglings and she saw that video or she's just saw, she just saw Anakin do it. So she's just like, well, this is clearly Darth Vader because like, look at what he's doing. Um, well, and, and also in that, that's, that's a, that's a, a, a motivation where it would make sense for her to dr- try and draw Obi-Wan Kenobi out of hiding, because if you know what she knows, you've seen Darth Vader just kind of rule the roost over all the grand inquisitors for 10 years and nobody can touch this guy, but you know, there's one guy who could. So, you know, if yeah. you were trying to, if you were trying to hurt Vader, you know, you might try and draw Kenobi out of seclusion and see if he can finish the job. Um, yeah, she might be sort of like the the bride, you know, in Kill Bill, she's kind of got the list, mm, you know, she's mm. got, you know, it's not necessarily like Obi-Wan's just as high on that list as Vader is, but she's basically just consumed with all, you know, where she went from being, you know, taken as a child to promises of being a Jedi to all of a sudden, whatever she's gone through to be, or they've made her what she is. Mm. And she's like, well, everyone's going to pay. And this is basically, I'm going to play the long game here. I'm going to pit these people against each other. Mm. until there's no one left and then you know whether i'm going after the emperor or whatever i'm doing after yeah. that well i did that- see a theory ab- about her um possibly being like a you know a new version of star killer from force unleashed mm. um you know so Darth Vader's apprentice essentially yeah mm. um but but even still you know more sinister than that i've just thought about this idea that she could be more like the emperor's hand she could be there to you know, the way Palpatine has a way of wanting to strengthen his apprentices or, or he'll do away yeah. with them. He always wants to get the most powerful apprentice. Maybe he's sort of trying to level up Vader by having him defeat Kenobi or having, you know, yeah. turning Kenobi to replace Whoever's Vader. Left, who's left, who's left yeah. top of the pile kind of thing. In the exactly. Other so, of his time. Yep. Yeah. So if Reva's trying to set them against each other, that could be on the agenda too. The other moment from this episode that kind of hints at her having an ulterior motive is, uh, you know, there's that moment, I can't remember what Fifth Brother says to her, but it's when they sort of have that meeting and he's like, you know, I'm in charge here. And she's like, oh, actually, it's not what Darth Vader says. And then, um, you know, he says something like, you know, hopefully we, you get what you want or whatever. 
And then she's sort of the only one left in the room and she sort of has this completely different tone for a second and she's like, I certainly hope so. And it's kind of like, what does that mean? Like She says it twice, doesn't she? She says it twice and you're like, is this... Is I again? I could I could just be projecting stuff. I could be reading stuff in there that's not there. But I'm almost like that sounded like that wasn't like a you know I'm angry and I want to kill Kenobi or I want to kill. That was sounded almost like there was a positive, like there was maybe there was a hopeful sort of motivation underneath all of this, like that she was. Yeah. I do like the good under the breath under the breath mutter. You yeah, know, she's yeah, just yeah. like, well, you're the one who's the, who's, who's the dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's just that sort of, you know. That, that, that. But, yeah, she's really interesting character. Like, I really, I, I'm really fascinated to see what they do with her. Like, I hope she just doesn't just, and they just kill her off. Like, I, I, if, I, I would really like to see that she hasn't actually, even, if, you know, even if we discover what she is or what her motivation is at the end, if, if there is a season two, I'd love to see her continue you know, if it turned out that whether she was after Vader or after Roby one or whether, she, you know, she gets a swing at Vader and she fails and she escapes and then it's like, oh, what does she do now? Does, you know, does she help Obi-Wan? Does she, mm-hmm. is she, can she be brought back? You know, all that kind of stuff is really fascinating, I think. And, you know, she's not in Rebels. Um, you know, the Inquisitors sort of run their course in, in that show as well where they, they sort of become so so, you know, superfluous to requirements by the end because they think they've basically got all the Jedi's, and then it's just a matter of eliminating them because <laughs> you're keeping the Force users out and things. So they've got a use by date. They, they're sort of you know trained as almost like sort of wild animals of just kind of like to, to hunt and kill, and then you just sort of dispose of them. They're not really supposed to be particularly sophisticated or mm. or smart enough like Sith or anything like that. They're supposed to sort of just be tools that they can be used so yeah like i'm a little bit just like oh, we're already halfway through this thing mm. um and it, it's opening up it's opening up all these sort of bigger worlds and bigger ideas and thing and that's why i'm kind of like well i hope there's a, se- a season two because there's lots of ideas to explore but at the same time like you said before it's like well you've got to get him back on that planet people have to know not know where he is or what he's there for again you know can you wrap this up quite quick i'd really hate to have a rushed sort of ending to this and have it all sort of, you know, a few weird lo- clunky lines of dialogue in order to get it to seem like mm. it fits because they, I, I mean, I, I would like to, to think that you already know, like, all right, we're going to do it again. We've already got this planned out. We're going to cliffhanger it or we're going to, you know, do something like that. I, I Yeah. I want to get the sting at the end of like, Obi one will return or something <laughs> at the yeah. end. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's no Kenobi season two, but there is, you know, a Reva season one or something like mm. that, or there's, a, you know, even a Vader season one, or that maybe the creative team making this show goes on to do another season of a show, but it's not necessarily well, like a Vader one would be really fascinating, wouldn't it? That, mm. that it would almost be like, you know, if Ewan decides that he's done enough and Obi-Wan is presumed dead or whatever is at the end of the episode and the second season is Vader trying to find him and and what what is what does he uncover does he uncover this underground railroad does he get distracted with that trying to shut that down and um you know just the psyche of that of like i was so close and i couldn't quite get him mm. and, uh, you know what does that mean does it mean that he's lost his position does he lose does he lost footing in the eyes of the emperor does he have to try and get that back i, I was mm. quite like you know that whole idea like you said like the emperor's sort of pitting all these people against each other survival of the fittest sort of thing I, I think you could carry it. Like I think you could carry it with Hayden in the suit and the voice and stuff works really well. And if you've got a really good supporting cast, it could be, it could be done. I, I don't, 
Yeah, old Mandalorian is is a guy with no face and a suit and a distinctive voice. So you know, yeah, and, it, and it's interesting enough. Like you don't, we know people are like, oh, you got to keep him somewhat secret. It's like we kind of know everything about him now. Anyway, we know yeah. his whole backstory. His history is what makes him even more interesting now. Mm. So I don't think having a, a Vader centric series would necessarily be a bad thing at all. And and you know, in terms of the iconography, like Darth Vader is. Star Wars, like you know, you see him in the suit in this episode, and you're like, "Well, this is it. This feels more Star Warsy mm. than virtually anything else we've seen in, you know, and, and, and these Disney Plus shows, which you know have have been good, but like, uh, you know, obviously we've been talking about like a lot of sort of you know where can the series go, etc., etc., etc. But like, just in terms of this episode, this was probably possibly my favorite episode of any of these Disney Plus uh, shows so far the levels of tension that they were able to sort of ratchet up in, in this episode, um, you know, which this whole, this series has been great at the whole way along. I think I saw someone the other day compare it to uh, like Inglorious Bastards, like the, you know, the scene at the start of Inglorious Bastards where he's trying to lure the, the lure the family out of the, the basement or whatever. Like there's a few moments in this series that have had that kind of, you know, reach that, that level of tension that, 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 that movie did. And, and, you know, in some of its scenes where there's, you know, people trying to avoid being exposed to the Nazis or whatever. And yep. yeah, yeah, I, I just think this episode was full of stuff like that. I mean, the, even the, you know the scene on the on the on the transport with um, you know, the, the scene with Freck and and Obi Wan and, and Leia. You know, if all the Darth Vader stuff wasn't in this episode, that would have been the scene that everybody was talking about. You know, and how tense that scene was with the stormtroopers. Yeah, so, yeah, know, it was just so much good stuff in this episode. But sort of this weird sort of. Like it's cherry picking, you know, it's cherry picking all these really, like you said, iconical Star Wars things now and moving them into this middle, you know, you know like the prequels had a really, really distinct look, mm. the way they were shot, the way they were designed. And you kind of got that early 2000 CG kind of thing as well. And then, you know, the, the, and then the classic Star Wars has got that very classic shot in the late 70s, early 80s look. It's on film, practical set stuff. And then you're moving both these iconical characters and you're merging them into this modern thing that's this bridging thing between where it still looks like Star Wars, but it's it, you know, it's all more realistic, it's all lit better, it's all kind of shot differently. This the, the scale is definitely bigger, whether they use the volume or what, but it still all kind of looks the same. But you're kind of pulling the thing that looked a very certain way, whether that's Obi-Wan Kenobi in the prequel stuff, and you're pulling stuff that looks a very certain way, which is the 70s stuff, and you're pushing it into this modern stuff, which follows closely to the sequel trilogy most likely of, of the way that you know stuff is shot now mm. and it's kind of this lovely building and put together everything else that's sort of like what modern star wars looks like but it it you know like you said it, it, it that carries through on the mandalorian like i always sort of thought like oh well, mandalorian looked like return of the jedi was shot like rogue one you know that was always how i sort of felt it mm-hmm. looked and now you've kind of got these like pillars of design <laughs> in this new way. So it, it is slightly like you almost get taken aback. Like it's like Vader's outside. Oh, the scale is bigger. He's not just in a corridor anymore. Mm. And he's moved that the lightsaber stuff just looks better and, 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 and that as well. So it's kind of this delicious <laughs> sort of treat of dessert on dessert of dessert. Like a stack of cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's definitely a, a good time to be a Star Wars fan with three three more episodes of this show to go because, yeah, it's it's been incredible so far. But 
but we should probably probably leave it there and uh, revisit all these conversations uh, when we when we look at episode four next week. But mate, Josh, thanks so much for for joining us for this one, man. Where can the people find you? Uh, my pleasure, guys. It's just nice to chat chat again. Um, I have a podcast called Star Wars Spelt Out, which is a dumb name, but that's what that's what <laughs> it is, and we're stuck with it now. It's too late to to quit, but um, you can just find us on podcasts. I did some daily blogs from celebration so there's about five of them for the sort of the days that i was in california just little half an hours of what we were up to on the days and interviews with sort of other star wars personalities low-level star wars personalities that i hang out with (laughs) things as well no big celebrities or anything like that but other podcasters and friends who were there and they're good fun you get a sort of a feel for the things that you do at celebration um i love love episodes like that like that's that to me like you know you're like because uh, those those sort of on the floor of the convention, hanging out with your friends sort of, I mean, you know, you don't need to have the big celebs or whatever because like that, I think those kind of episodes really capture the feeling of being there. Like that's what, you know, when I see those pop up in my feed during celebration, that's the stuff that really gives me the, you know, the celebration FOMO a little bit is like, man, these guys are having so much fun. Yeah. And they're great just because, you know, I don't tend to listen to my own episodes once they're out, but I have occasionally gone back. I had gone back to the Chicago ones and gone, oh, wow, we really had a great, and it's a really great way to, to log them and have the memories and things as well. And, and mm. so they're just fun to do. And, you know, I just, I literally just had it on my phone because I bought like, I brought a really expensive recorder and I left it at home on the first day by mistake. <laughs> and I thought I'll just try it on my phone and it worked fine. I'm like, well, that's better than lugging a bunch of stuff around. So you can check those out. And I also do a podcast about Peppa Pig with my friend, Matt Frost, <laughs> the world's only Peppa Pig podcast, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, we've been off for the last couple of weeks. So I've been away, but um, we're deep in that. So if that's your bag, um, you can find just Google Peppa Pig podcast is literally only one in the whole world. So that's the <laughs> well, way to do it. <laughs> lots of places where you can find Josh Chapman. Then Baz, where can the people find you, your good self? Uh, propping up a bar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're going to save your uh, money for London celebration. That's right. Yeah, yeah, true. Every, yeah, second, yeah. every second beer, have one less beer every time and then just yeah, put that it. money in a little jar. Yeah, well, I am just at Baz McAllister on the tweets. Uh, follow me for spicy hot takes, um, anything that pops into my head. <laughs> and I am uh, at Rowan underscore Williams on Twitter. And you can also obviously follow at Force Material on Twitter and Facebook. And I'm Rowan Williams. I'm Baz McAllister. I'm Josh Chapman. And you've just taken your first step into a larger world. <laughs>